Keith Green sung that song and a young man who was totally sold out for God. I remember him in the 70s and at the age of 28 he got into a small aeroplane with a couple of his kids and they all lost their lives in the plane and uh, he, had an, he had just left a, a spiritual legacy behind him in writing lots and lots of songs and I always just feel a blessing with his, he wrote a lot of his songs. So I just wanted to say that as we, as we start off today, we're reminded of a young man who gave himself for the Lord. And his wife was called Me- Melody, she's still alive, and she wrote, she wrote a, a book about him and she um, called it No Compromise because that was really what the ethos of his short life was, that there was no compromise. And yet he wrote the words for that particular song and yesterday I was just sitting, uh, being quiet yesterday morning. That's my whole new thing of more quietness, no hurry, all, all good. And I was just being quiet before the Lord. And uh, I, I was listening to that song, that song came on. And I noticed the words and it touched me in a way that they hadn't before because uh, just recently, I don't know about you, but recently I have been feeling very much you can talk up here and you can say things and encourage people and I felt like the enemy saying you know you could go down you could take a tumble and almost that fear of you know are you practicing what you're preaching and you know just that sense of vulnerability and that awareness of my own weakness and the words of this song really got to me because he's talking about how when he was a young man he said he vowed to serve when he was young And then the words go on to say, but like Peter, he said, I can't even watch and pray. And, you know, there's times for all of us, isn't there, whenever we even find it hard to even pray. And, you know, the enemy will come in with all of this doubt and all of this fear. And then in the song, he goes on to say that he realizes that he could, like Peter, that he would be capable of denying the Lord as well as Peter. And it just struck me yesterday. I I thought, God, I know that. And, you know, I just want, really felt yesterday to say to you ladies, don't be looking to me on some kind of pedestal because I'm just like everybody else. And, you know, within me and within all of us, there's that capacity to not just fail, but fail badly and even deny God under the pressure. But then he goes on to say, except for the grace of God. And it really struck me, it's by God's grace that we're saved and it's by God's grace that we stand and so as we kick off this morning, I just really believe that God wants us to be totally dependent on him. And we're, we're, the title for today is that you are called to minister to others. And I want just to remind us briefly over the last week or two, and particularly last week, we were looking at how Jesus went to be baptized you remember his father spoke over him words of love and and affirmation you're my beloved son in whom i'm well pleased the holy spirit came in the form of a dove and rested on jesus and in that moment we saw there was a picture of of the of the trinity down there in the jordan river as he identified with us and went into the water through the waters of baptism and then immediately afterwards we saw that jesus was taken by the spirit 
And we notice it was the spirit that he was taken for, into the wilderness, but it was the enemy who came in on the back of that to do his temptations. And so I just wrote in your notes for this week that when we remember and consider that Jesus was baptised and then was tempted by the devil, we should remind ourselves that when we obey the Lord, and especially when we identify with him in baptism, and identify with him in all our life decisions and do things God's way, we can be sure that the enemy will be stirred up and want to try and bring us down and bring temptation into our lives. But, big, big but, that should not terrify us because we have someone living in us who is greater than he who is in the world. And we saw that last week and how God it wants us to know that we are loved, that the Father speaks words of affirmation over us because we are in Christ. When we ask Jesus to be our Saviour, to come into our lives, to be our Saviour and Lord, then we are in Christ and Father God speaks over us. You're my beloved daughter in whom I'm well pleased. And we have the Holy Spirit in us and rest in, in, actually living in us but also resting on us. And so we have the anointing of the Spirit, we have the, 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 the love of the Father, we have the, the ministry of Jesus. And last week we saw how because he went through the temptations himself, he, he understood and, and, and wants to, to help us in our temptations and our weaknesses. And he wants us to come to him and come to the throne of grace. Let me read this verse to you in Hebrews 4. It says, we, this is from the Amplified Version, we do not have a high priest who is unable to understand and sympathise and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liability to the assaults of temptation. But we have one who has been, who has been tempted in every respect as we are, yet without sinning. Let us then fearlessly and confidently and boldly draw near to the throne of grace to his unmerited favour, that we may receive mercy for our failures and find grace to help in good time for every need. And, you know, I was just thinking of this last evening and how we shouldn't be surprised whenever we fail. But we should actually be expectant that God can take us past failure. But if, if we fail... We have an advocate who is with the Father. We have a great high priest. We have Jesus who understands the temptation and is able to come and support us and forgive us and lift us up. And he actually tells us to come boldly to the throne of grace. So that's kind of the backdrop for what we want to say today because on top of all of that, on top of, of having the love of the Father and the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the, the ministry of Jesus who stands in the gap between us and the Father and, and, and constantly cleanses us and lifts us and forgives us, as well as all of that, as if that wasn't enough, we have the Word of God which is like a sword in our hand that we can use against the enemy. And if you remember last week, we saw that that is exactly what Jesus did. He used the word of God. Every time the enemy came to put something in his ear, just the way he puts it into yours, Jesus said, it is written. And he used the word of God like a, a weapon. It was a weapon in his hand. So uh, I just wanted to do that backdrop before we move into the next part of the teaching for today, 
which is Luke 4, and we're going to start at Luke 4, at uh, verse 14, and we're going to see that after he had come through this temptation, we saw last week that he was then, he had, he had gone through the temptation, not for the enemy to, 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 to do him in, but for God to show him off, as one who was greater than the enemy, one who had completely defeated the enemy, so that he could stand for us, and that he could go to the cross to fulfill the death on the cross, to fulfill the atonement, to make us one with God, and to bring us into life. So we see now that after he'd gone through that temptation, Jesus is moving into his ministry. And it says in Luke 4, verse 14, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. The message says he taught in the meeting places to everyone's acclaim and pleasure. So after he'd gone through this temptation, he goes in the power of the Spirit. And I just wanted to say to you that whenever you come through difficult times, remind yourself that God can take you through, that if you fail, he lifts you up. Remind yourself that God wants to bring you out of what you're going through stronger than what you were before you went into it. And remind yourself that you're coming out strong and you're going to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that God has a plan and a purpose. Because you know what? He knows how to work all things together for good. Even the temptations of the enemy. Even the weaknesses of our flesh. God can take it all up, turn it into a big ball and work it for good. And that is the miracle of the God that we serve. And so he's going into Galilee. He's the spotless, sinless son of God. He has been tempted by the enemy and it's been proven that the enemy has nothing in him. He has gone through it completely and he begins to teach around that whole area. And everyone in the Galilean area are pleased to hear him. I love the, the, this. Even going up to Galilee he was fulfilling the prophecy of the New Testament. I love the verses in Isaiah 9 verses 1 to 2 where it, it, it prophetically... Almost a thousand years before Jesus came, where prophetically the word had been given that by the way of the sea in Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Upon them the light has shined. Imagine, the prophecy was fulfilled. He went, left the temptation and he goes up to Galilee and, and the light is shining as the people in Galilee recognize him as the light of the world, as their hearts are stirred. And they're acclaiming him and, and they're pleased with what he is speaking. But from Galilee, he moves on then, we're told, in verse 16. So he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Uh, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. We were in Nazareth this year, and we were in an area there where you can go and they take you around, and they reckon it was possibly, probably somewhere around there where Jesus would have been brought up, and they show you lots of, of things of what it might have been like in that day for the, the way of life. Um, but there's a place there, it's, they call it the synagogue, it's obviously a building, it's not the synagogue at all, but uh, it's, it's this place, every time we go into it every year, uh, William goes up to the front, he, he stands up and he sees the rabbi and usually gives a bit of a song. And well, the first time we went in, there was a man just singing with no music, just singing in Hebrew. 
and uh, just beautiful just to go in and sense that it would have been a gathering very like that. See, um, the, the, in those days, in, in Jesus' time, people went up to Jerusalem to the temple, but uh, there were actually these synagogues, these, there were community centres, there were places where people would meet, communities would meet in these, in these synagogues and read the word of God and it became a way of life because the temple was up in Jerusalem. And so they actually have specific scriptures to read throughout the entire year. Uh, and it still is ongoing today. You go, they have their set scriptures that are read. And when, when they would have had it, Jesus coming as a visiting rabbi was welcomed, obviously, and was handed, uh, he was handed this, the, the, the script, the role, uh, the Torah to read from. And uh, there would have been, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible, but they also would have, have, would have had the scroll of uh, the book of Isaiah. And when they would read the Holy Scriptures, even today, they don't touch the Scriptures because they count them to be too holy. And so they have what they call a Yad. Yad, Y-A-D, is the word that means hand in Hebrew. And they take the Yad and it's like a pointer. Usually it's silver made out of silver. I actually have one somewhere at home, but I hadn't time to look for it last night. But you, you, they would have taken this silver yad and they would have pointed to the scriptures, would not have put their finger. That's the reverence that they had for the holy word of God. And so the, the person in the synagogue who was in charge that day would have handed him, given him in some form of, of a scroll, uh, would have given the scriptures and Jesus would most likely have used this yad to point and to read the scriptures. And he began to read from um, the book of Isaiah, and here are the words that he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now remember, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him at his baptism. The Spirit took him into the wilderness, and he's come back out of his temptation now, in the power of the Spirit. No wonder he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The message translation says to announce that this is God's year to act. I like that. You see, Jesus was fulfilling the Old Testament scriptures. And it says that every eye was fixed on him. No wonder everybody was, their eyes were fixed on him because he was actually fulfilling the scripture. And it says, then he closed the book and he gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And Jesus began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I mean, they were actually, they were actually witnessing the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures right before their eyes. And he's quoting, actually he's quoting from Isaiah 61. I'm going to read it to you from Isaiah 61. Here is what it says. This is the, those, um, the verses in Luke are the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. I'm trying to look something else up here as well whilst to do this, so just bear with me. Um, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 
uh, and the year of vengeance of our God. And so he's actually fulfilling this Old Testament scripture in, um, in, in the book of Isaiah. Now, I wanted to read this to you because uh, I just thought this was pretty good. This is a, a commentary from a guy called uh, John Colston. And he says, the poor, the downtrodden, the outcast, the unattractive, and the forgotten people. These are the people to whom we are to reach out, especially if we are to be like Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has reached out to us. And we are, we might not realise it, but we actually, in God's eyes, because of our sin, we are the, we, we, were, we, were, we were unattractive because of our sin, but God chose to reach out to us. And he has sent me, Jesus said, to heal the brokenhearted. Now this is a bit I want to read to you. Brokenhearted people are not easy to minister to because it's not easy to walk with someone who's hurting. It's not easy to listen to their repetitive rambling, to dry their seemingly endless tears. And yet these are they to whom Jesus came lovingly, tenderly and specifically. I think if we're honest with ourselves, every one of us will remember times when we have been brokenhearted about something. We will have been those who have been hurting and we've been rambling and going on and on about stuff. Would anybody identify with that? Because I tell you, I can identify with it. And you know, as I read through this and read through what this guy said, I thought, that's me. Lord, you have such patience with me. Are we agreed? Aren't we all, you know, that's not the, all of it. So he's, he came to, to heal the broken heart. That was us. Those, that, those of us that just go on and on and on and on. And, and it's hard sometimes. To, but listen, Jesus has an ear to hear your cry. No matter how broken hearted you are, no matter how, how much you ramble and go on and on and on, he is listening because he loves you. And so uh, this, this uh, writer says, not only is he the one who has been sent, been sent to heal out of broken hearts, but he came to preach deliverance to the captives. Jesus was anointed to preach to the very people to whom we all too often, too often impatiently say, I've told you what to do once. I've told you how to be free twice. Why are you still in bondage to that habit or that person or that substance? Aren't we like that? Didn't they tell you, what, what's wrong with you? Why do you just not do it? Why are you still in captivity? Why are you still in chains? Why are you still in that prison? I told you what to do. And you know, we don't have patience, but the Son of God has patience. And you know what? These are the very people that he came to. He came to people who were brokenhearted, who needed him to listen to them. And he came to people who were in captivity, who were in prison houses, who were ensnared in chains, people who, who just couldn't seem to get it right, couldn't get freed. And then he goes on to say, not only did he come to preach deliverance to the captives, but he came to bring recovering of sight to the blind. And then it says here, of the spiritually blind, we are tempted to say in frustration, why can't they see it? How could spiritual truth be any clearer? Yet these are the people precisely for whom Jesus came. You see, one of the things that I have realised is that we could talk to the cows come home, as I say, and we could be explaining the gospel, and we could be telling people all the truths about the word of God. But you know what? If the Holy Spirit doesn't open blind eyes, people don't see. 
And we don't. We get frustrated. Why don't? Why doesn't that person just come and trust Jesus and get their lives sorted out? We get frustrated because we think if we talk and <coughs> shake our fists enough and and say it, emphasize it enough, that they'll get it. But you know, we might as well just stand on our heads because unless the Holy Spirit does the work, people are blind and people won't see and they won't be able to be set free. And then the final was to set at liberty them that are bruised. We hear this. Afraid of getting hurt, bruised people hold back. They are defensive, timid and fearful. Yet because Jesus is anointed to free them, he finds a way to reach them. Listen, we might, I, I just feel there might be some people in here today and you might feel that you're like some of these people. Maybe you feel that your heart has been broken. And maybe you just feel that, that, that nobody's really able to understand or put your heart back together again. Maybe you just feel it's broken and it can't be fixed. But I want to tell you that we have a saviour who can fix your heart. He can put it back together again and he can do a, an even greater job than what it was at the beginning. God wants to fix your heart. I'm reminded of this is the Chinese who when a pot is when a beautiful pot is broken, they put it together and they seal it with gold so that the, 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 the thing that holds it together again becomes beautiful in the design. And that's what God does. He wants to put your broken pieces together again to make you even more beautiful with the wounds. He wants to make you even more beautiful, a container of his love and his grace, someone that he can, who can carry his presence. He wants you to know the dignity of being his daughter whose broken heart has been restored. Isn't that amazing that God can do that? And if you feel that maybe it's not your heart that's been broken, but you just feel that you're captive to some kind of habit or some kind of situation or some relationship or you're stuck and you can't get out, you need to know that Jesus came to set the captives free. And I don't know, I don't know how he does it, by the, but by the power of what Jesus did on the cross, do you know what? He can smash those chains and he can set you free and he can bring you into a whole new start, a whole new day. And that's what he wants to do. Maybe you don't feel it's that you're that you're in captivity, but maybe you feel that 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 um, that there's a blindness. Maybe you feel that that you're just not seeing things anymore. Maybe you're just feeling that even God's word is not is not talking to you anymore. You know, I remember at a particular time in my life whenever we had been abroad, and as you, most of you know, we had um, William and uh, and myself and and William's father. Uh, whenever we were first married, we went to live abroad. We went to live over in uh, in the in, in Austria, first of all, and then over into Romania. And we were doing a Christian work over there. And, you know, I was full of dreams and hopes that that we would do a lot for the Lord, and that it all went bit pear shaped Because you know what, bad stuff happens in life, and things happen that, that we have no control of sometimes. And I remember coming home and being very, very desolate about it all and disappointed in my marriage at that stage was, was not going well either and uh, things looked very, very dark. And you know, I went through a period where I would take William and he was only a little boy at that stage, maybe uh, about four years old, and I remember taking him by the hand and I betrayed him to different churches because we had just come back to a different part. I'd been living up in Enniskillen before we went and we're back here again and it was like, where will I go to church? And I remember drawing him to church and you know, I could, I remember listening to, to sermons in church and you know, nothing was reaching my heart. And I remember thinking, 
I like I'd heard that before and it was it was going over my head and it wasn't reaching my heart. But you know what? God heard the cry, my cry of desperation. Because <laughs> I was desperate for God. I was desperate that he would get through and penetrate my heart. Because I was in the t- most terrible place that I'd ever been in my life. And I remember just feeling so broken and so much in captivity. And like, God, I, I'm looking at your word. I can't see what you're saying. I can't understand it. And I remember God began to, to reach me. And you know what? He did it through, he did it through, initially, he did it through a young woman whose mother is here this morning who came and started to pray with me. And she was a, a young girl, her name's Judith, and she lives in America now, and I've spoken about her before. But you know, Judith started to pray with me. And you know what? She wasn't going by any formula. She wasn't praying like prayers that were out of a religious textbook. She would pray from her heart. And she would say, Lord, what do you want to say this morning? And God began to give her little pictures for me. I've never had a picture before in my life. I didn't know that God could actually give you a sense. Jeremiah got pictures. I didn't know about that. I didn't know that we had a God who was in technicolor, who could actually not only speak through the word, but actually show us a picture that would be meaningful and tie in with God's word and say something to us. And you know, all those big heavy messages that I had heard from the platform, they hadn't reached my soul. This young girl, she starts to pray. And all of a sudden, my, my heart started to melt. And all of a sudden, I realised that God still loved me in my brokenness. I realised that God had not moved one inch and that he was still there and he was saying, I can put your heart back together again. He was saying, I am here and I have got this situation. I've got you. And his word began to penetrate into my heart. And I found that all of a sudden, his word was leaping at me out of the page. All of a sudden, I was in dialogue again with the king of kings. The king of heaven was talking to me because he he had heard my cry. And you know what? I don't know where you're at this morning, but he hears your cry. And I'll tell you, he will respond to you. And he will start to speak, open up your heart. He wants, to, he wants to talk into those deepest, darkest parts of your heart, into those places where you're hurting. He wants to shine his light, and he wants to speak directly to you, not in some fancy, highfalutin way, but heart to heart, reality. He wants to be real with you, but he wants you to be real with him. And you know, when he sees that you're crying out in desperation, I'll tell you, he'll come and he'll set you free. And, and he is the one who can do it. And he loves you. And he wants you to know that he loves you. And he wants you to know that he can set you free. And he wants you to know that if you've been bruised, bruised people don't scare Jesus off. Sometimes when people are bruised, they're a bit touchy and a bit edgy and people kind of give them a bit of a wide berth. But you know, Jesus doesn't do that. He comes near to people who are bruised. In fact, the Bible says that he will not, a bruised, a bruised, bruised reed, he will not break. If you've been badly bruised and battered by this world, by whatever circumstances or situations or people or whatever it is that's come around you, he wants to blow. I think of that bruised reed, you know, it's like a, to me it's like a little reed that has been set on fire but it's about to go out and it's just smoking. 
there's no more flame on it. But when God comes and breathes on it, the flame begins to come. I would love this morning that God, by the Holy Spirit, would breathe on you this morning. That there would be a fire beginning, the spark would begin to come back up again. And that God would breathe on you, that that flame would start, that holy flame of God's Holy Spirit would fill you and flood you and and uh, and just change and heal you this morning. And so we see that, that in this a situation Jesus is coming and he's saying this is what I came to do this is what I came to do I came to minister to the poor I came to minister to you Jesus came to minister to you and minister to me but you know what once we have been ministered to he wants us then to be so full of his presence and so full of his Holy Spirit that without even trying that we begin to minister out of the overflow to those around us. And that's the message that I believe God wants to say to us today. Let's continue to read what Jesus said here. He closed the book, he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marvelled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Jesus this is, is this not Joseph's son? Uh, actually, in the message it says that they were surprised by how well he spoke. And then they said, is this not Joseph's son? Last week we, we talked about how the enemy is so quick to come in. Remember we said last week that God the Father had said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And the next thing Satan's hightailing him out into the desert. And he's saying, if you are God's son. He's coming in to throw doubt. He always does that. And, uh, and here is Jesus and he's saying, he's presenting himself into the synagogue. He's saying, today, I'm the one that's fulfilling this. He's presenting himself as Messiah, the anointed one. The one that's been promised right through the, from the beginning, right through from the book of Genesis. The, prophet, the promises that Messiah was coming, the anointed one, the Christ. And Jesus is presenting himself as the Christ. And right away, we see human nature. And they're saying, well, he spoke well. But is that not Joseph's son? Begin to throw doubt immediately on his identity again. And you know what? That's what the enemy will try to do. He will try to bring doubt in. Every time that you hear God's voice, I'll tell you, you'll hear the enemy coming in right behind you. Because the enemy wants to snatch what God's saying out of your mouth. He does not want you to live in the truth of what God says, in the truth of his word. He will try to rob you of the truth and he will try to, to make you, um, to even get you to speak out in the way that these people did in, in doubting who Jesus was and what he can do. But you see, he was the Messiah, he was the anointed one and he was come to this earth, he had come to this earth to heal and to bring, to bring healing and salvation and to bring life to those. And, and basically what he was saying was, I'm here now. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the time to act. He had come into the right time. He was in the right place. He was going to fulfill the will of the Father. He was going to go to the cross. It was his time. But you know what, ladies? And this is what I really feel God's been saying to me for all of us. I believe that we have been ministered to by God. And there are maybe those who need to continue to, where well, we all need to continue to receive that ministry. 
but there's going to be some of you still in a very broken place and the Lord says just let me heal you let me invest in you that's what he did with me for a few years just that healing that invest. sometimes you just need to just to take that time to let the Lord bring healing but you know what out of the overflow of what he does in us out of that overflow then in the most beautiful miraculous way he begins to operate through us so that we begin to minister to those around us. Because if you're full of anger and hatred, people around you will soon get it, won't they? They'll soon get the edge of your tongue, like if you're full of... But if you're full of love and joy and peace and the love of the Lord and you're, enjoy, and you're feeling all healed up and you know that the Lord's speaking to you every day, do you know what? You can't help, but it just overflows. It just comes out of your mouth. You can't, you can't even stop it. It's not about trying to do ministry. It's about enjoying God so much and looking at his face and seeing his face and realizing, Lord, you love me and I love you. And, and thank you for speaking to me this morning. And it's an ongoing relationship. And out of that relationship, the overflow, people feel it. People around you, situations, all begin to change because of what happens. And so, you see, we should remember that the patience that God has with us and the love that God has for us, he wants us in turn to have that same patience and that same love for those around us, that we can be ministers of his gospel, ministers that will reflect the love and the patience of Jesus. And so these people, basically these people in Nazareth, in Jesus' own town, they were missing this. They they had they'd missed the point. And Jesus goes on to say that a prophet is without honour in his own town. Let me just read it to you. Jesus said, You will surely say this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. So they're kind of saying, if you're, if you're real, do what you're supposed to be doing up in Capernaum, do it here. And Jesus is not going to, he's not going to go with that at all. He's not going to, to, um, to do miracles to prove himself. If they don't have the faith, he's not going to do that. And Jesus goes on to say, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven, heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. just wanted to take a moment or two, because I really felt it would be a good thing for us to be reminded about this particular story of this woman. I love the fact that Jesus... Uh, give examples. These people were not believing. They weren't believing who he was. They were. Um, they were saying, you know, you're son of Joseph. They were not willing to receive him as being the Messiah. And in the midst of that, Jesus actually speaks to them about another situation. And you know, as I was reading this, I just felt like God wanted me to read you a little bit about this particular story. Because I have a sense that there's somebody in here this morning and God wants to speak to you. You remember the story? Jesus um, is telling them about this woman in Zarephath. Um, and uh, she was a Gentile widow woman. You remember the story that... I'm trying to do about six things at one time here because I want to get on and read out something as well. Uh, you remember the story that, uh, that Elijah was the prophet 
and there was a time of drought in the land. Uh, the crops were failing and, and the animals were dying and people, there was no, there was no, um, there was no food coming and Elijah was the prophet and do you remember Ahab and Jezebel? They were the, they were the wicked pair, the wicked witch and, uh, and they were totally against God's prophet and remember that during that time that God sent Elijah to go and stay by the brook and that's another lovely story but then uh, God fed, remember he fed him with the ravens, came and fed him with the brook and then um, God sent Elijah to go to Zarpath which is about nine miles south of Sidon uh, and apparently that's within Lebanon. The interesting thing is that Jezebel, well, her, she and Ahab ruled in Israel, but Jezebel's family came from Sidon, from that area. So that was like a real hot pot of, of, of evil. And yet that's the very place that God sent the prophet Elijah to go up to Zarephath. Zarephath means a smelting pot. It means... Um, to see if I can get the uh, exact words of it here. Um, it means to, to smelt, you know, with fire, to, to melt down, to refine or to test. And uh, so God had sent Elijah to go to this particular place and he told Elijah that he had prepared a woman, prepared someone there who was going to uh, help him. Let me just read it to you. Because I think there's something in this that God wants to say to us today. So it says, uh, God said, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah arose and went, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Please bring me a little water in a cup that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, Please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin, and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But make me a small cake from it first, and bring it to me, and afterward make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, The bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry, until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. She and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. See this story. There's something about this story that I think is so powerful. This is a little old lady who, well, I don't know how old she was, she was a widow anyway, and she had, obviously had a son, and she had nothing left. She's a Gentile. She doesn't know anything about the Lord God of Israel. She didn't know that God had chosen her to save the prophet's life. She didn't know she was chosen. Maybe there's somebody in here this morning, and you don't realise that God has chosen you. Well, you need to know it. He has chosen you. And this little lady, when Elijah heard that God was sending him to Zarephath, I'm sure his heart sank because I'm sure he thought, should I stop into the middle of that Jezebel country? My goodness, they'll kill me up there. But you know what? Elijah just obeyed God, even though he was afraid. And he went to Zarephath. And when he got there and he saw this wee widow lady, 
And she said, well, I have nothing left. I'm just about to make my, our last meal here and die. I'm sure in the natural, Elijah's heart was going, Lord, you've got us here and this woman, she knows nothing. What have you got us here for? And, and I'm sure his heart was sinking when she said, well, we're just about to eat. But you see, he was listening to God. And he said to the woman, well, make me a little bit first. And you know what? The woman did exactly what he asked. And there's a principle here that I believe God wants to say to us this morning. If we put the kingdom of God first, if we seek him first and his righteousness, all of these things will be added unto us. This little old lady who was a Gentile, who knew nothing about the God of Israel, she listened to a prophet and she got the reward of a prophet. Because, you know, not only, not only was Elijah's life saved, but her life was saved. And I love that about God. When God brings people together, he does, it's, it's blessing both ways. And this lady who was a, a widow lady, she poured out the last that she had to give it to the prophet. Poured out the meal and poured out the oil and made him a little cake, the last that she had. And you know what? From that day onwards, every time she poured out that meal, there was more. Every time she poured out that oil of the jar, there was more. And I feel this morning that God's saying to you not to be so afraid. Not to be afraid that God's supplies are going to drain up. Do you know what? <laughs> from the summertime, from I fell and hurt this knee, I've had this, this thing from the enemy coming around me saying, you know, you're getting older now. Just a reminder of getting older and maybe more frail and maybe things could happen. And maybe, you know, not only that you'll fail and make a fool of yourself but maybe maybe you, maybe you can't haven't even got the power to get up and speak there maybe maybe something awful is going to happen to you or to your to william the son or whatever do you know what my god will supply all my need according to his riches in christ jesus and i'm telling you i'm speaking that out for my for me but i'm speaking it out for you and you know what you give him your best and I'll tell you, you keep pouring out and pouring out. There'll be more meal, there'll be more oil, there'll be everything that you need because God will supply your need. And it's this woman that Jesus refers to. Here he is and his own people that he grew up with in Nazareth. They've heard him speak and read the scriptures, the scrolls in the synagogue. They've heard him declare that he is Messiah, that he is fulfilling the, 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 the prophecy in Isaiah 61. These people were well versed with the scriptures. They knew what he said today, the scriptures fulfilled in your hearing. They knew what he was saying. He was claiming that he was Messiah. And his own people refused him. And they said, sure, he's just a, he's just a son of Joseph. And you know what? Jesus goes right back to a little old lady who was a Gentile lady who knew nothing, who didn't know the scriptures. And you know what? She had enough faith to believe. And God took care of her. And God saved the prophet Isaiah through what she did. And Jesus is commending her. And then he goes on to talk about, he goes, let's just read a little bit more here. He goes on to talk a little bit more about someone else in, 
in the Old Testament, a man called Naaman, who was a, again a Gentile, a Gentile um, general in the Syrian army who had leprosy, and I'm sure you all remember that story. And you know what really struck me about this? Let me just read what Jesus said about him. He said, And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Many lepers in Israel, but none of them cleansed except... Do you know what struck me about Naaman? If you remember the story, we haven't time to read it. It struck me about his humility. He had leprosy, but he was willing to listen to a little servant girl who'd been taken captive, a prisoner of war, had been taken out of Israel as a captive. And he was humble enough to listen to her witness and her testimony about the God of Israel. And he was humble enough to go to Israel and to go and to seek help, and God healed him. And you know what? These two stories that Jesus referred to remind us that both the prophet Elijah and the prophet Elisha both were involved with Gentile people and they both carried God's mercies to the Gentile nations and God wants us to know that he loves us because we're Gentile people and he's saying to these Jews in Nazareth listen you've, you've grown up with me you know the scriptures but you don't have faith these Gentiles didn't know it but they have faith. And so he's, he's pointing this out. And of course, that was like a red flag to a bull, to these very religious. Do you ever notice that very religious people can get very mad? Do you ever notice that very religious people who, who can get so self-righteous that they're hard, that, they're, that there's a hardness about them? And so you can see them almost strutting their chest out and they're saying, what? And they're, they're, they're so angry that, it, let's, let's see what it says here. It says, so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Now, I've written in your notes here, sometimes people get mad when the cap fits. And that's exactly what happened here. They were getting mad. And that word wrath means that they were in a rage. It was like exploding anger. It was a, a turbulent commotion. Boiling agitation, impulsive out, outbursts of hot anger. And another word that's used in this is the word orge, O-R-G-E, which presents anger as a settled habit. You know, there's some people who, who are so self-righteous and who think they know everything and really they're like, like a seething pot. They're, they're just so judgmental and bitter. And you know, we do not want to be like that because that is not what reflects Jesus, the Son of God. He is a gentle saviour. He is the one who loves us. And so they're getting angry and they're getting so angry, it says in verse 29, that they rose up and thrust Jesus out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, that they might throw him over the down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. It's very interesting. If you go to Nazareth today, you can see that very cliff. You can see where they, where they tried to push him off that cliff. You can go to that very place and look at it today. And you know, and I thought about this, I thought about the whole world system and how there's something in this world, in human nature, that rebels against God and doesn't want to give God glory and would actually still cast Jesus down if they could. They would still try to thrust him down. Their intent was to cast Jesus 
over the edge of the cliff. But you know the thing that I loved? What I loved was that Jesus just walked through them. He just I when I was young I used to I used to visualise this and I used to imagine all these people ready to throw him over and you know just about to lay hands on him and just something about the Saviour as he walked through. Nobody dared even put their hand upon him. There's something about the presence of God. Do you know when we walk with the presence of Christ, yeah, you know, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. When we walk with the presence, we can walk through anything, ladies. We can get through anything when we have the presence of the Saviour with us. And here he is, and he's walking through, he's walking through these crowds. And I have written in your notes, miraculously Jesus passed through the midst of them and went his way. Jesus still passes on when people do not want him or try to oppose him. You know, way back, um, I'm just looking at, again on my phone here to get the date of this. Way back, uh, hold on a wee second now to get this. There was a lady called Fanny Crosby. She was, became blind at the age of six years of age. Uh, she began to compose stuff, write stuff at the age of six. And um, she, she lived in New York for the blind. She went to the school for the blind there. Uh, and um, she wrote quite a few hymns. Uh, and one of those hymns was written in 1868. And I love this story because I, I trained to work with blind people in the 70s and, and, and for a few years did so. And I love this because um, there's something about, um, about Fanny Crosby and the things that she's written. I think they're so poignant. But it was written after one day she'd been in, in a prison visiting people. And she was going from cell to cell and she was telling them about Jesus and she was singing some songs. And as she was walking past, there was a prisoner there and the prisoner cried out, Lord God, don't pass me by. I, I heard another story that he actually said, gentle saviour, don't, no, gentle lady, don't pass me by. I heard that, that rendering of it. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But he cried, he cried out anyway, Lord God, don't pass me by. Please don't pass me by. And as she went back and she spoke to him about the saviour and I believe she led him to the Lord. But afterwards she wrote this song, uh, Gentle Saviour, do not pass me by. Maybe some of you older ones, the young ones won't know this song, but us older ladies, whenever I was young, we used to sing that. But you see, Jesus won't pass you by. If you call out, he won't pass you by, because he loves you. And he wants us to cry out for him. And he he, the minute we cry out, he's going to stop, and he's going to lift us up and he's going to take us into his arms of love. And he wants to show us his face. Now, this is what I wanted to read something out that Kelly wrote. And I wanted to, Kelly was with me yesterday and we were talking about, um, Kelly was saying about how she really wants to see God's face. It's more important to look into his face than to be asking things from his hand. And I know that is sort of a saying over the past few years, look for his face and not his hand. We need his hand as well. But, you see, Jesus came to this world to minister to you, to rescue you, rescue me, and to minister to us, and to make us whole, and to make us, to heal us, and to restore the joy of salvation to us, and to do miracles in our hearts and in our lives. And it's an ongoing work. And God's going to continue to, to work with us 
right until we, we, we die, until the Lord comes. God's going to continue to work with us. But you know what? As he works with us, and as he shows us his love, and his goodness, and his mercy, and his grace, we need his grace. As he does that for us, he wants us, out of that overflow, to do the same for those around us. So that we minister to others out of the joy of looking into his face and seeing his love and knowing that he has forgiven us. And as we look into his face and make that a priority, that it's him we want rather than what he can give us. As we, as we say, Lord, you first, I want you first, I want you in my life first, then everything else falls into place. And this is what, this is what Kelly wrote and sent back to me uh, last night. I search not for your hand, but I seek and meditate on your face. Though the things of your hand may satisfy my flesh, it is only your face and your counsel that can restrain my soul. All former things shall pass away, but O oh, you, my Lord, will remain. Withhold your hand, Lord, provide only what I need, but please never ever hide the radiance of your face. For when I look up, I want to see all your glory. And when my head is too heavy with life's burdens and it remains fixed on the ground, it's there too, Lord, I want your face to be found. Withhold what you will, pour out as you see fit, but please make certain in all you do, I will still fall on my knees, seeking your face. For it's there in those moments I remember who I am. I know of my weakness and the fact I'm just a mere man. But I'm reminded of your glory and the power of your might as you stretch out your hand to pull this sinner to her feet. It's here in those moments as you dust off my failures with a comforting embrace and you whisper, we can try again, little one. For in order to fail, one must decide to give up. You know, if the truth be told, we're all a bunch of failures. <laughs> really, if the, bunch, if the truth be told, we're just, we've all failed so often. But you know what? We have a saviour who just takes us by the hand and lifts us up onto our feet again. And he says, do you know what? I died for you. My sacrifice on the cross, my blood is sufficient to cleanse you from past, present and future sins. I am your Lord and your God. I love you. I died for you. I came to heal you. I came to set you free. I came to give you liberty. I came to take the scales of your eyes if you could see. And I want you to see me and I want you to look at my face and I want you to hear my voice. And as you look at my face and hear my voice, you'll be built up, you'll be healed. But not only that, you'll be transformed into someone who looks more and sounds more like Jesus and someone that Jesus can use to bless this world. Just as we close, I just wanted to read the last little clip of your notes. Something for you to think and pray about. Are you one of the people who has no time for Jesus? Or are you looking into the face of Jesus? Are you listening to his heart and to what he's saying to you? 
because seeing and hearing and obeying him is the secret to peace and joy and fruitfulness. And your ministry to others will flow out from this relationship with your Saviour. Ladies, he's a God of miracles. He's a God who wants to do a miracle, I believe, in your life today. And if you're feeling a bit like that little old lady that really was about to just take the last wee dregs and, and count it over, then you better think again. Because that little old lady, she listened to what the voice of God was saying to her. And she decided to trust him. And you know what? He never failed her. And you know what? Every day, you'll have enough. And you know what? He wants you to have enough, not only to pour out the meal and pour out the oil to make yourself a wee cake, to keep you going, eating God's word and enjoying him every day, but to have enough to give to those around you. Isn't that an amazing privilege? To be able to minister, to be called to minister to other people because you've received the ministry that Jesus has given to you. That's what EGALT is all about. It's about us being fed ourselves. It's about us getting strong, getting set free, getting those scales and those blinded eyes opened to see the truth. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And he wants us to be women who are free to worship and free to be joyful and free to sing and to shout his praises and be so full of his Holy Spirit that you know what, we just can't keep it to ourselves. And it's just going out around us and people are being blessed and we just feel like we're throwing the blessings away because they're just being poured out over us. Doesn't mean we don't go through hard times. Of course we do. Doesn't mean that life's not tough of times. Of course it is. But you know what? We are part of the body of Christ. We are here to look after each other, to pray for each other, to stand in the gap and to see each other through. And you know what? Going through the hard times is what fits you to be all that God's calling you to be. If you don't go through the hard times, we talked about it last week, you need temptation. You need hard times to get stronger. We all do. And that's why Jesus said in the prayer, he said, pray, lead me not into temptation. We don't want anything that we shouldn't be getting. But God will use whatever comes our way. But we need to know that God is over all. And nothing can get through to you, but it has to get past God first. And if it comes that far, it'll come with a great blessing to your soul. I'm quoting a quote from Alan Redpath from way, way back. I read it in the 70s. Nothing can get past God. And if it's got past him, then it's come for a great purpose to your soul that he will turn it for blessing. People say all the time, how come all these bad things happen? Listen, the God of this world is in charge, but I'll tell you, our God, our God is the one who works all things together for good. Our God is the one who really is a strong one. He is the one who has accomplished it all on the cross. It's paid for, bought and paid for. This world's still listening to the God of this world, but we have a God who is all sufficient. A God who is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, that every knee will bow to him. And we should not be afraid. And we should just allow ourselves to get strong. Allow him to minister to you this week so that you can minister to those around you. Lord, I just pray that your word will penetrate that you will encourage, that you would lift up. I pray, O oh God, that even today, Lord, that you would use this word to be food and to be sustenance to every heart. And God, just continue to lead us. 
And uh, Father, I thank you for your goodness. We're going to stand and we're going to sing There is a Redeemer. Keith Green wrote this song as well, as far as I know. And we're going to sing it. Let's really sing it out loud. There is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's own Son. I just feel right now, I feel really prompted to just to pray that if there's a blindness on anybody's eyes today, that God would just remove the blindness. If there's a blindness that the enemy has put in front of you, that you can't really see what God is, what he's saying to you, what he's looking, how he's looking in your face. If there's a spiritual blindness and a spiritual deafness, that you're not able to hear him or to see what he's what he, how he's looking at you and how he's longing for you to embrace him. I'm going to pray right now that that blindness and that deafness might lift. And I really felt prompted, just as we were singing, to pray for the Jewish nation, who as yet are blind and deaf. I know a lot of them, a lot of them have trusted Messiah and are, are believers, of course. But by and large, as a people, they haven't turned and we know God has a plan for them and we know it's going to happen but let's just pray we're told to pray for them and I'm going to pray specifically for any blindness or deafness to be lifted because I think that God's been speaking to hearts today but actually it hasn't penetrated through I think there's been stuff that hasn't really gone into spiritual ears or into spiritual hearts and God wants you to know today he, he can lift that blindness and take away that deafness. So Father, we are praying now in agreement that anyone here today who is not hearing what you're saying to them and who is not seeing the love that's on your face for them and not seeing or able to see that you want to set them free and that you have a hope in the future for them. I pray right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus, by the power of his name and by the power of his blood, I pray right now that blindness will lift and Lord that hearts will see and have a glimpse of your love and that something will penetrate that will change and transform lives, maybe just one life today, maybe more. And God we pray for the, your people, the Jews, and we pray oh God that you would lift the dark blindness from them and open their ears, that more and more will turn to you. We thank you that, that you, Lord Jesus, came through the Jews. We thank you for the heritage that we have. And we pray blessings on them as a nation today. And we thank you for the privilege of having your word in our hands. But more than anything, thank you for the privilege of being saved and having the Holy Spirit. God, we have everything we need. And we love you and we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name. Go in peace and we'll see you next week. And anyone who wants prayer, we're here to pray.